0: Uh, years ago when I was uh, in seminary in South Carolina, uh, classes, uh, do that. Uh, I was taking classes during the summer and um, I remember uh, we we would have chapel services daily and uh, during the summer it would be in a smaller room. But there was kind of this ripple through the seminary that we were having uh, a particular speaker come that day and they, uh, this guy's name was, was Ralph Winter and i kept hearing that over and over did you know uh dr winter is speaking in uh in chapel today and i had no idea who the, who that was or or why people were so excited or why they kept saying it over and over and i finally asked somebody i was like what's you know what's the big deal about chapel today and they were like oh you don't know who ralph winter is he helped develop walk through the bible curriculum and so if you've ever done that it's it's kind of a way to teach you to go through the whole of the bible but he also helped With global missions to help uh, immobilize the church to go, and and they put the estimates that that Dr. Winter helped mobilize one-sixth, to reach one-sixth of the world's unreached people groups, and it amounted to about one billion people that then heard the gospel through his efforts. And that's pretty impressive when you stop and think about it. And so I was like, oh, OK, wow, this is great. He, he came up with all this great stuff to help teach the Bible that we've been using. And he did all these incredible things for World Mission. So I was pretty pumped to hear him. And I remember coming in and sitting down uh, in chapel and, and Dr. Winter came in. And he was in his mid 80s, I think, at the time. And he walked very slowly up to the front and very deliberately. Uh, like I said, he's in his 80s and he looked every bit of it and more. And uh, as he got up there, I remember his wife was sitting in the front row and he stood up and he was about to talk. And then he kept talking to her and he kept looking at her and kept going back and forth. And, uh, and then he kind of mumbled around a little bit. And then he picked up his Bible and he said, we really should print this as a book. And I, in my mind, sat there and thought, oh, no, this guy's like kind of lost it. Like he's, he's not all here. Like he's talking to his wife and he's confused and he's talking about we should print. And then he went, "No, no, no, I, no, I know it's a book. He said, but I mean, we should print it like in chapters instead of 66 books. It should be chapter one and chapter two. And and then all of a sudden it was like he hit his stride. And he said, Genesis one through 11 is the prologue. And the Bible starts in chapter 12 as God sends Abraham on mission to proclaim the glory of who God is and the way he's pursuing all things. And all the Bible is about missions and all of it is about God reclaiming his good creation and he went through, and in an hour, he went through the entirety of the Bible. They talked about us being made in God's image and needing to have that relationship with God. He talked about Abraham and being sent and how God would bless the world through Abraham's seed. And that Israel, Abraham's descendants, this nation, were there to be a light to the world, to show them what God is like. And that we now as the church, in First Peter, it says, now we're the holy nation, the royal priesthood, to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of the darkness and he pulled it all together in a way I'd never seen before. And it was so incredible the way this man went through the entirety of the Bible talking about God's mission for his creation. And I remember sitting there and going, God, forgive me for thinking he wasn't all together. This guy is way smarter than I ever hoped to be. And he had done so much for the church. And it was such a blessing as he pointed us. The Bible is about the mission of God. He is on mission to redeem his creation. But as much as the Bible, and that is absolutely true, what Dr. Winter said, is about the mission of God. And all the way through God unfolding that. But as we read through the Bible, it's also about broken people that God uses And calls in to be part of what he's doing. And it's also about broken people who often miss the things that God's calling them to do and go off into other things. It's a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. In fact, it's kind of the theme of Jonah that we're now in. We started a couple weeks ago and we're still right in the first chapter of this book in Jonah. But what we see is one of the key themes in this book. Is that God sends this prophet Jonah, who is a prophet to Israel, some 800 years or so. There are about 750 to 800 years before Jesus, and he sends him to another nation, to Assyria, this horrible, scary nation. It was kind of the enemy next door, and he runs the other way and he struggles with what God's telling him to do, and we see this on a loop over and over in the Bible. As Israel blows it over and over, they want to make it all about themselves instead of being a light to the world. We see it with their prophet here in Jonah. We see it when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus steps in and he comes in and he's calling people that are far from God. And the religious leaders of the day are all about themselves. And they're all about Israel and they're all about who's in and who's out and who's our people and what that looks like. And Jesus has the most harsh words for them, the most pointed criticism for them. And we see this repeating over and over. And I say we still see it today that we lose our way sometimes as the church. And I say the church, I mean the church universal. Uh, We like to get caught up in different things instead of seeing who God is and what he's sending us to do and where we're to be going and how we're to be on mission, joining God in his mission of redeeming his creation. And so this problem happens continually that we forget this. And so what I want us to think about and what we see here in Jonah chapter one this morning is why does it keep happening? Why is it such a problem that we get off into other things and we divide people up and we're against those people and we're for these people? All the things that we see Jonah dealing with, why is that the case? And then how do we get rescued from that? And so I want us to look at Jonah chapter one. If you pick up with me, we spent the first like five verses last week. God calls Jonah. He decides to run. God brings this storm and he's teaching him through the storm in this. And if you were with us last week, when we talked about that, God uses those consequences of our sin. In this particular case, he brings this storm very clearly because of what Jonah was doing. And so God works through the consequences But what I want us to pick up with is right after that. And so verse four, God brings this great storm. But then verse five, it says the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and he had laid down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God. The God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and they fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And I want us just to stop there for just a second. That in the middle of this thing and they go and they wake Jonah up, who's asleep. They're working hard to try to correct this. We're, We're cued into some things that are happening here. These are experienced sailors and they see this as more than just a storm. They see it as supernatural because it is so intense. And they're thinking we may die in the middle of this, right? These are guys that have seen all sorts of things, not easily rattled, but in this case, they're like, there's something more going on than just a storm. And they're trying to figure it out. And they wake Jonah up and they say, well, you should pray, pray to your God. And who are you by the way? And where do you come from? And what's the deal and what we see Jonah see. And I think this starts to kind of give us some idea on why we run, why we Divide things up while we forget God's mission, make it about other things. And when they ask Jonah who he is, he leads with, I am a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. He, he starts with his national identity, his ethnicity. And many commentators have said as they've they've poured over Jonah and thinking about this passage, that it's very interesting that that's the thing he starts with, that he starts with where he's from and his national identity And he starts with those things first and foremost. And we talked about this last week, but it's an important reminder for all of us that whenever we start to get our identity from something other than God and we start to place that in God's rightful place, it's going to cause all sorts of problems. And so Jonah starts with, I'm a Hebrew. And he sees his identity as such. He leads with his ethnicity. And when we hear that and we start to think about Jonah and the way he sees himself, and, and if we think about it, when somebody asks you, when you introduce yourself or you talk, you often uh, will respond with something that is very core to your identity. Who are you? What do you do? What is that like? The way you answer that question kind of keys you into your heart in a lot of ways. I think that's true with Jonah here. He leads with, he's a Hebrew. But when we see that, it starts to make sense of why he's running from the Assyrians. It starts to make some sense of when God says, I want you to pick up and go to Nineveh and proclaim the judgment that's coming to speak the truth to them that he goes, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to go the other way. Now, we've talked about there's some very legitimate reasons why it's a difficult, difficult place. There are horrible, brutally uh, violent people. There's a lot of things in that would make him want to run the other way. But it also clues us in that if his heart is so that I am a Hebrew first, I'm an Israelite first. The idea of going to the nation that is their enemy, that is they are kind of hovering. That's this violent place. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in his thinking for him to go there. And that's what happens when we think about following God in our life and our identity is primarily found in something other than God. Then suddenly the thing God calls us to doesn't uh, become quite as important. Because we don't see it as the central thing in our life, the driving uh, identifier of who we are. And so here we have Jonah saying, uh, starting with his ethnicity, his culture, his national identity first. I'm a Hebrew. But then the second thing he says right after that, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And just what we know from these first few verses and what we started with. Would you say that's a true statement? He says I, I fear God right? I'm a Hebrew, but I fear God. That's the next thing he says. And he goes, is that true of how he's operating in the way he's uh, going about his business? Right. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh to preach the truth. And what does he do? Would you say he fears God or he fears Assyria more? Yeah. And so I, I start to think about well his identity and the way he sees himself. Here he is in complete disobedience, running from God, doing the exact opposite of what God told him. But when they ask him who he is, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I'm a, I'm a good person who follows God. Or actually the hypocrite, he's not following God at all. He's doing the exact opposite of what God's calling him to do. And I think part of what we start to see in Jonah's life and his heart and the things he's struggling with is he is aware of God. He's aware of the things of God. He wants people to think that he's a a man of God, but he's not really following God. And he's getting his primary identity from his ethnicity and then secondarily is being a good religious person. And, and, And the reason I say that is he's quick to say, I fear God, even though that's not true of his life at the moment. He still wants to claim it. And so when you start to see those things, those identifiers that come in and you start to get your identity from other things from God, then you start to make uh, decisions that aren't in line with what God says, which we're going to see is true of Jonah over and over. And he's struggling through this. We're going to get to the end of the book and we're going to see that he didn't want to go anyway. I did not want to go because I knew you were gracious and I knew you might save these people. He actually says that to God later on. Which makes perfect sense. Those words make sense if your primary identity is in your ethnicity, in your nation, and this is your enemies. You probably aren't real excited about going to them in hopes that they're going to repent if they're your sworn enemy. And the primary way you see yourself is a Hebrew. And so when we start to think about why does this problem happen over and over and we start to get off into different things. Instead of being on God's mission, joining him in his mission to redeem all of creation, what gets us off? Well, it's when our identity is misplaced. We talked about that last week. Things that can vie for our affections that we can get our uh, identity from. Uh, We can easily start to get our identity from our job. Or how much money we have or where we live or uh, whatever it looks like. In our country today, it's become a big part of we get our identity from what political party we belong to. And when that happens, when we let other things become our primary identity and we see things in those light, we'll identify something else as the problem. And then the answer will be something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that all the time. And when we do that, it makes sense that we forget the mission that God is on to redeem his creation because we're now so far down the road with other things. Other things that have taken this primary place in our life to be our identifier, where we find our identity and our purpose. Jonah was that way. He was a Hebrew first. Uh, The the few other spots we see him uh, in, in first Kings. He's a nationalist who's all about Israel and their glory first. He even says that at the end. I knew you were going to be gracious to these people. Our enemy. And you see him working that way. And when that happens, that leads to all sorts of problems. Uh, there's a quote in your bulletin this morning from C.S. Lewis. I put it in there from time to time. Right? It's not the first time it's been in there. I usually put it in there around election time. Right. But C.S. Lewis says, he who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God himself. I think that's part of the problem, uh, even in our country today, of, of why we've become so divided. We've identified things that are the problem. And we've identified things that are the answer and we've decided that that's the way change and how things are going to be fixed and how it's going to work. And then we run after that really hard and it divides people. And I see that in our country real clearly right now with political affiliations. This is the way that we're going to fix things through this party or this party or these laws or this person that we will elect And the sad truth is right now in the heart of all that, so many things, political parties, both sides. Right or left are so far removed from the kingdom of God and the things God calls us to for his glory. And yet we want to throw all in with that. And when we do that, we get so taken with that. And we get so divided. There's one team over here, and there's one team over here, and I'm not on that team, and I don't like those people, and they're wrong, and it just perpetuates. And we miss the heart of the gospel and all of it. And I think that's exactly what Jonah was doing here. You want me to go where? To who? They're the enemy, they're the other side. And when we start to think that way, we miss the things that God's doing. See that so clearly in our country with the the political divide. Those people over there believe this and this and this. And it's and it's so pervasive in our country. We have a split in two parties. Guess what? Neither one of them is completely biblical. They're both wrong in a lot of ways because they're not there to honor God as being the thing. They're not built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're built on a whole lot of other things. And there may be good things that come out of both in different places. But our allegiance is to Jesus and the gospel, not these other things. That's why that quote from C.S. Lewis is so great. That when you give yourself fully to something that belongs to God, it's going to cause problems. We misorder our loves And we let these things rise above God and it causes all kinds of issues. In this case, with Jonah, it's he's not listening to God. He's doing the opposite of what God calls him to do. He's no longer seeing these people, the Assyrians, as someone that God may redeem and bring into his plan. But they're an enemy to be destroyed. Sadly, that's what our country looks like today. Those people over there with different political views are those people over there on the other side of the border or that culture or they see gun laws differently. So I don't like them. You're sent to them, whoever them is. We're called to bring the gospel to all people, not just the ones that align with us in these certain ways. And when we miss that, we're doing exactly what Jonah does. And if I say that to you and say those people that believe this and you start to get defensive about some of those. Whatever that is, fill in the blank in your own, you're getting your identity from your political affiliation. If it starts to well up in you to where you get really upset. Then you're not seeing all people are created in God's image. That we're called all people. The gospel is good news for all people on the right or the left or wherever they are. And when we miss that, it's because we've let something else start to become our primary identity in our life. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because what happens, and I think it's a secondary point in this passage, is it becomes hard for us uh, to hear the truth. Uh, What you see in this passage, right? they go and they wake Jonah up, they say, get up. Right? Look at verse six. He says, the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper arise? Right. Commentators have pointed out that it's the same word that God uses to Jonah when he sends them to Nineveh. Arise and go to Nineveh. And now it's the pagan sailor as he's sleeping through the storm that's being caused by his disobedience. And he comes to him and he says, arise, get up, call out to your God. And here it is, the very words of God, truth being spoken from those that he's supposed to be sent to. that are supposed to be far from God. I don't know if you've considered this or not. Maybe you've heard this before, but sometimes the truth comes from very unlikely places. All truth is God's truth. And so if somebody on the other side of the political divide says something that is true, it's still true. But what happens is we let our identity be tied to one thing so tightly that we can't hear it from anywhere else. I don't like that, so I don't want to hear that. I I, I saw this thing on a late night—I don't remember what it was—late night TV once. It was one of the late night talk shows, and the guy went out on the street and he was talking to different people and asking them about their political persuasion, who they voted for, who they like, who they don't, all those things, and they took all these quotes. Uh, some from Obama and some from Donald Trump. And they went out on the street and they would read them out of context and not not out of the context, but they didn't know who said it. And they say, do you agree with this statement? And they'd be like, oh, yes, absolutely. Do you agree with this statement? Yes, absolutely. I don't believe that. And what they would find is like they would agree with half of Trump's stuff and half of Obama's stuff. And then they get to the end and they'd be like, you know, this quote and this quote was from Obama. And somebody be like, oh, no, he's horrible. And then the same thing with the people who were for Trump. They do the opposite and they go, well, actually, Donald Trump said that. They're like, oh, no. Right. It's because they were so conditioned that they're on the other team that I can't hear anything good from what they say. And when our identity becomes so tied to something else, we become closed to the truth. Because of who's speaking it. And what this book does at multiple times, we see it with the Ninevites later on, but we see it here first with the sailors, is that God speaks through the pagans, those that are far from him, to correct his prophet. That doesn't mean they have a full knowledge of the truth or who God is, but he uses them to speak, to correct. And so here they are working really, really hard to save the boat. They're in the middle of the storm and they're throwing things overboard and they're working furiously. And where's the prophet of God? He's asleep. He's ignoring all that's going on and they go and they wake him up and they say, get up and pray. But they're speaking the truth. That's true. Get up and pray. What are you doing? And so God speaks to those that are far away. And God does that at different times to correct us. And I think about the divide that we see in our country and how poor theology combined with an arrogance leaves us to not be able to hear the truth. You go, they're all wrong. Maybe. I'm laying my cards on the table. I don't like to talk about politics. I hate all politics. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, and I don't like either one of them because I don't see either one of them lining up with who Jesus is. Not fully. There's places where they are. But it's not fully there. And we're called to be this light that represents who Jesus is, what God is like. So don't give yourself to one side or the other. You speak the truth and the truth is the truth. And Jesus is the answer. And when we miss that, we get off in the weeds and all these other things. And that's exactly what was happening with Jonah. He's so about his nation and he's so about this first. And what happens is the gospel becomes secondary. We do that in our country now. We make excuses for people that are very un like on both sides. That's not a statement about any one individual because we're on that team. And we're not supposed to be on that team. We're supposed to be for Jesus. We're supposed to show what God is like. We're supposed to speak the truth in love in all things. And when we start to give it away to these others, you see that happening. And I just want to say that's a misplaced identity. So we've given what is holy God's to other things. And we let that consume our lives. Part of that's the culture we're in and what we're bombarded with day in and day out. But we're called to be people of the word. Let God's word stand over us. Let what God say be what we say, what we follow. Jonah misses that completely here. And he's wrestling with and he's struggling with this. And God brings these other men and they speak the truth into him. Get up. And pray. God's correcting his prophet. And I think all of this is partly uh, in the way God inspired this book. Israel had missed their calling in so many ways. And this book was showing you're missing it. You're supposed to be a light. You're not supposed to be all about you. So what's the answer to that? If the, the heart of it is a misplaced identity, then what we've been talking about, and we said this last week, is There's unbelief there. Sin is unbelief about who God is in certain areas. And I think first and foremost, we see that Jonah doesn't believe God is great. That is that he's in control of all things. He's worried about going to the Assyrians. He's not believing that God is on mission to redeem all of his creation, not just certain people. Right. Because he gets to the end and he says, I was afraid you were going to do this. Save those Assyrians He doesn't want that. So he's missing what God is about and that he is seeking people from every tribe, tongue and nation. And he had narrowed it down and he was not believing what is true about how God was working. But how does that happen? How do we get so far off that we start to do that? Those people over there. How do we divide it up into those things where I don't like them, but I'm okay with them? And so this is a gospel issue. It's is the very heart of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. We are saved by the grace of God. Grace is we get what we don't deserve. Undeserved merit. God has given and lavished upon us his grace, even when we didn't deserve it. And so you see in this story, you've got this nation, the Assyrians, that were so brutal in their violence. So the very first week, the Assyrians were so bad that when we look back at history, that we can look at them and go, they're as brutal as any in the history of the world. Right? Today, we always say uh, we compare things to Hitler for good reason, because what Hitler did was horrible in so many ways. But historians look at Assyria and say, yeah, they, they were right there with Hitler. It was that bad. So what's God teaching about who they are? Are they beyond redemption? No, he's sending them to that place. He tells them to go. See, when we divide things up into categories of people, they're in and they're out, and this is what it looks like, and we struggle with that. We're misunderstanding the grace that God has given to us. That we are sinners separated from God because of our sin. And when we start to not extend the grace to others, we're forgetting that we stand by grace. Your conception to what God has forgiven you, the grace that he has lavished on your life is going to be the way in which you extend grace to others. That's how it works. It's how our sanctification works. The more you understand what God has done for you and the grace that he's given you, the more it makes you a humble and gracious person to other people. When we forget that we were born in this country, most of us were born in America that are sitting here. Why were you born in America? Because of God's grace. Why do you live in a country that's free? Because God graciously allowed you to be here. It's God's grace that he's called you to himself. It's God's grace that you saw that you were a sinner. It's God's grace that you profess faith in Jesus. It is by grace that you stand. And so when we look down on other people as those people over there and they got all these things wrong and they're beyond God's reach or they're whatever uh, justification we use to put them on the other side, we've forgotten how we're saved. I would have never come to faith, but the grace of God. That also means that no one's beyond his reach. That's one of the things in Jonah. The awful, violent, horrible Assyrians. Cutting people's heads off and walking around with them on stakes. It's not a joke. That's what they did. Those people, God says, they're not beyond my grace. Go and proclaim to them. So as bad as you think the other side is, whatever the other side is politically or that person is so far removed or man, they seem so bad. Guess what? God's grace is bigger than that. God is more powerful than that. He calls us to be part of what he's doing. And when we conflate God's mission with a nation or a political party or whatever, (laughs) we're messing it up. I disagree with him on a whole lot of things, but Tony Campolo said this once. He said, when we take and we, we mix uh, the church with politics and we conflate the two, we put the two together. He said, it's like mixing manure and ice cream. He says, it doesn't really do anything to the manure, but it sure screws up the ice cream. And that's what we've done in so many ways. And we put the two together. We're called to be ambassadors of Jesus. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what we know through what Jesus has done for us is the problem is sin and the answer is Jesus. In every issue, whatever it is. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be politically active or you shouldn't have things that you care about or that you give time to. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that Jesus is first. That he's the foundation. That he's the answer in all of it. And when we see it that way, the idea of going to people, whoever those people are, makes perfect sense because we know the grace of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. It's where Jonah got off. It's where we have an opportunity right now in the environment with which we live where things are very, very divided to show something that's completely different. Our country in particular... Desperately, desperately needs grace. That needs gracious people that speak the truth in grace. That speak the truth in love, that hold fast to the things God told us to do, but do it in a way that looks completely different. God is glorified, He works in that, and we have the opportunity to do that. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I thank you that it's far better than anything else. Forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we don't see people the way you see them. I pray that you would give us soft hearts for those that we disagree with. I pray that you give us soft hearts towards those that are vehemently denying the things that you call us to that your grace is big enough, that the gospel is big enough, and what you've done for us in Jesus, I pray that you would help us to believe that more fully in all things, that we would be quick uh, to listen and slow to speak, that we would love all people, meeting them where they are and having those opportunities to do so, and it would be for your glory and you alone. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.